Startup Rx. I'm Pras, a machine learning engineer. And I'm James, a head of product. So welcome to our episode seven. And today we're going to talk about um, acquisitions uh, and what's it like to have a good acquisition experience, as in this is for the employees and what's bad, um, things that you should not do. Uh, you as in the manager or actually the uh, the parent company. So um, I've been through a, a few acquisitions and I've also been hired before um, at the point of post-acquisition to scale. That's when they have enough funding from the parent company to scale up. And I've seen the transitions. Uh, I've seen a lot of transitions um, of incorporate being integrated into the parent company or in the other instance, being left alone completely and just uh, pulling information out for the parent company. So uh, I'm going to start with the good, right? Uh, I've, been, I've been with uh, a company that uh, was acquired and I was hired post-acquisition. And what, um, without having to name names, I, I just want to just talk about the experience of what's it like to have a good uh, post-acquisition um, transition. Um, and that is the goal, if you keep in mind, is to keep the talent in the company. Keep in mind that these guys, um, the company was like just two years old. So the employees have just signed up for something, not knowing that it will be acquired. And the first thing you should do to keep the talent is to not change anything. Um, so that was us for a first, our first year within the, you know, the corporate parent company. They left us alone. We were an island. Um, our budgets, our hiring actually was extremely different from the parent company. And it was, it was maintaining the same speed of the startup as in very agile uh, compared to the parent company, which was a large corporate. Um, it was a lot slower. Um, and yeah, we were a perfect sandbox where we even carried on the same culture, the same habits. Like we had free lunch every Friday. It was a get together, um, not just you know, it's not just for a social aspect, but it is to discuss uh, work as well. And lunch was paid for. It was just something that you know was a perk, was a pick me up. And the rest of the company did not have that perk. Uh, so we kind of had to keep it uh, hush hush. Like we don't brag about it. We don't talk about it, so that the other employees don't get jealous on this um but what's what i what i want to focus on is also yeah that obviously that's not the real main perk so they they actually went extensively trying to not change anything and hence we were able to continue to grow and what the parent company did for us is just paid our expenses in terms of the AWS expense or, you know, software expense, our laptops, um, ensure that we are well resourced. And in, in return, our growth numbers uh, still carried on in its uh, hockey stick projection. So you bring out a good point, James, about uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, the objective post-acquisition is to uh, keep the employees on the same track that they were in before, um, if I parse that correctly. Just want yep, to... Yeah, that's correct. If, if you could 
take a step back and could you talk about from the perspective of um a startup uh ceo or from the perspective of a parent company like why do acquisitions actually happen so in in why do they happen and they have i mean various reasons right one they i in the previous 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 company it was actually seen as a competitor um and it wanted to just to buy us so that it could capture that market to increase its market share um and then once it has its higher market share then they would also have access to their clients and so in the future they would have that leverage to perhaps increase its price or offer better service or what have you it's just to do that the other is to wipe out a competitor and then just to like completely dissolve it uh that's i've seen that happen um another is uh it's building out a feature that they they wanted to build but they couldn't they couldn't build it was just quicker just to buy uh the the company that had that feature and uh yeah that was the case for for us in the, in the example i was given it was a feature that they wanted that they thought it could um improve their existing products and it's that synergy that they uh bought us for so in a lot of these cases uh once we understand why an acquisition happens let's say so i was in a company where uh the the company got acquired so uh, i'm just trying to understand if we know why an acquisition happens then the outcome of an acquisition uh, is predetermined right sure um sometimes you could say that and you could measure the kpi of that predetermined outcome but there are other things that you cannot really measure like the aspect of integration with your parent company in terms of not just features and products but also the team as well um how does the rest of your company learn from the acquired company i would assume that you are acquiring this company because of the its its ability to out you know feature you or you know to it just you know it was it was it has bested you or disrupted you and that's why you bought it and so you want to perhaps learn and build a framework with your existing company to learn from the smaller company and that's not something that you could really measure um unless you want to yeah measure your existing products and how that would change but that takes some time and sometimes you know that's not there's nothing written in the contract saying hey you got to train our teams and you know um there's got to be some cross uh learning cross training I rarely see that as like a mandate. It's more like this is a secondary thing. It's a a result, a symptom of having to integrate that they have to work together to a a common goal. That's interesting that you mentioned that because um I would agree with you cross pollination of ideas yep. or yep. structures is not a common clause in any uh contract. um having said that there's another case for acquisitions right like um if i am a construction company and let's say i have 
achieved some kind of expertise and market share in the construction domain and i want to acquire an ai company which i have zero knowledge about software so it's it's most it's mostly for like change in industries right this is what like holding companies do more often hmm and i could imagine that ending up in a disaster um because the parent company has no idea what they've acquired because they have no experience with it that's just uh that's just my like black swan warning like try it out first at least you know uh try to build something out uh have some talent work within you rather than just try to acquire something and then yeah find out that it just doesn't work like what if the solution wasn't ai after all I'm saying AI just as an example. It's a double-edged sword, right? I know. I'm just, I'm just saying, and that's in your scenario. I could imagine, like, but, yeah. But, but it's a double-edged sword, right? Uh, some of these acquisitions are the norm for like holding companies, right? So Alphabet, for example, would maybe acquire a company around sure. green, green energy, or something like that to power or healthcare. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Uh, they just want to expand and they believe that's the space that they want. And so they, they acquire it. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And I, I think in those cases, it's a good outcome for employees because they're at the driving board of that industry. So uh, anything your parent company knows about a particular new industry comes from the interactions with the said acquired company. So it could go to ways yeah i mean i would expect you know when you acquire something that would uh, a company there would be at least some synergy rather than no synergy whatsoever right and then the other question is are you going to leave that company alone that you acquired or are you going to try to exert yourself onto it with your very little experience um or are you going to take part into learning from that company that you acquired and incorporate it into your own that i rarely see um it's usually the parent company trying to exert themselves thinking you know why why should i have this little company tell us what to do and then it's just that the employees don't realize that or they're just i don't know why they feel that way maybe it's an ego thing but it just yeah leads to disaster which is what i see i'm sure that's not the intent but that's what i see that's a good uh that's a good point case case in point here <laughs> is metaverse and meta acquiring oculus and uh, now meta is falling as vr is falling so it kind of sometimes affects the parent company also adversely so that's a good going... point let's just think about that for a second right the, the you're saying that the 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 child company is affecting the parent company in a big way in in a not a good way um I think that is not like the fault of that transition. It's more of them having to analyze the market and how to make it better. Uh, you know, Facebook has lots of talent. I'm sure they could mold it to something that actually will work eventually. Um, this is, you know, their second iteration, for example. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they got enough funding to figure it out. That's my positive aspect. I'm just trying to turn it around. Uh, so my point is, it's not not the actual interaction that actually is what governs it. 
Um, it's the actual product itself. Um, I want to apologize about the negativity. It's really just from my prior experience of just seeing acquisitions just fall apart sometimes. And I was at the start of this show, I was giving a very positive, uh, actually one that actually did work, uh, where we actually influenced the parent company in a more positive light. Sounds good. So, uh, just just skipping over the whole uh, meta use case. If you could now go back to uh, the outcome. So now we have understood, right? When acquisitions happen. Uh, so, what are the po so you mentioned the possible outcomes of an acquisition were? Could you just repeat that point? So as in, do you want to know where the actual outcomes are or um, just in general, what, what are they trying to gauge in, in an acquisition? What are the outco general outcomes? Now, post acquisition, what does it mean for me as a team member of the original startup? Ah, and is it, is it, as in what's their, from their point of view, like what is the outcome that they want? Right. So. Uh, there are scenarios in which I've seen um, startups being acquired and then fired right away. The employees fired right away. Yep. Or there are scenarios where at the point of acquisition itself, it's made clear that it's an exit. So employees are given nice fat paychecks yep. and they're sent away on their golden parachutes. Uh, there are scenarios where, so Twitter is an interesting example, uh, as we see it happen in front of our faces. There are scenarios where the, the, the revenue model changes of uh, the, the said company. So that means certain things become more important than other things. So that would be like a partial firing, let's say. And there are certain cases where like the parent company wants to integrate with the product completely wherein there is no firing and there's a, just a freedom to continue. Um, yep. Would you add something to that? Um, I mean, you, what you just listed is all the possible outcomes of an acquisition. And we just need to know why they were acquired in the first place um, to figure out what that, those outcomes end up to be. Um, so in, it, it really depends on that scenario. Like, my for the case i was given like the company was just starting out and you you don't want to kill that momentum and fire everybody you want to make sure the talent is there to carry on that growth if it's if it's growing if it's growing 5x why do you want to like fire people right and i think it's it's not it's you you'll end up with just the brand and code it that's not going to grow on its own um especially when it's just starting out and it's still learning how to uh you know maintain that scalability because sometimes it, you just need that talent to maintain that and get ready to you know pivot as well just in case they'd learn something out of this so yeah they it's just the reason why people get fired is because of a cost exercise and they want to centralize things you know uh incorporate it into like for example you know we don't need two HR people or, you know, two IT people or, 
if there's another person, well, that literally we're talking about the word redundancy, right? There's already another person in place, so person gets remade redundant. But yeah, you gotta keep that talent in there, like just for for the reason of you know the HR aspect. Like I was saying, we were maintained a special team where our HR was, you know, special, gave us special treatment to maintain that agility so that we could hire and offer a contract within a week versus three months, which is what the parent company takes. So, yeah, every aspect is important in that, in that sense. Um, and that is just to, to maintain that growth. If, yeah, if you, if you fire everybody, yeah, that growth will slow down because everyone needs to learn it. And yeah, product always is, is not maintained. It always has to, you know, change to, to stay effective. So just on that note about firing anyone, right, or everyone, um, or redundancies, um, so what, consider the scenario where there is a competing product under the parent uh, parent ecosystem already and they yep. acquired a new company uh, which yep. does the exact same thing yep so my belief is this happens either to acquire the users or to look under the hood and find out the tech or the secret sauce that's uh, running the product in in both cases do you do you require to retain the employees once you've acquired them Case in point here is Figma being acquired by Adobe. What does that mean for Figma's future? Well, do you know anything about Figma's future and their employees? Are they being fired at the moment? Uh, nothing so far. Um, uh, let me just talk from my personal perspective. Like, um, <clears throat> I was I was in a company that acquired a another company that had a competing software. And we, first off, we had to go through months of government analysis uh, or through, you know, their, they want to ensure that we're not building a monopoly from this. And this is like antitrust and anti-monopoly thing. It's something that companies need to go through if they're capturing or acquiring a competing product. And so the end result of that was that we cannot change that product for two years we cannot increase their price for two years this is unique for us and so that we want to so that i guess from the government's point of view to look out for those customers that um that are already you subscribe to that product and they're giving them two years to decide and giving us two years to decide to to integrate to avoid this uh to make sure it stays competitive and we're not taking advantage of that situation because the product that we own you know it was already like 80 percent of the market share and then we could capture pretty much the rest with that acquisition for example um and so yeah that puts us in a very powerful position so the government wanted to stop us from doing that um were there any firings no uh it's because they need both teams to be there to maintain the product. And it's not like suddenly, well, a company can suddenly, you know, fire that crew and then force the other, you know, employees to suddenly have to manage two different products. And that would be like, it would be mentally draining, especially when it's a product that you plan to dissolve. Um, or um, 
to integrate that will change in the near future. Um, it, it would be mentally straining and I wouldn't be surprised that there would be turnovers uh, as, as a result. So um, yeah, definitely give that company the, the one that's being acquired that will be changing, you know, head, you know, a heads up, give their employees some sort of, you know, time for them to figure out when they could move out, et cetera. Um, you know, two years is, you know, decent amount of time for them to figure themselves out and give them certainty of what happens afterwards so that they could decide. And just one of those best practices is to maintain transparency. Um, shocking employees, no way to get a five-star review for your company. It's the fastest way to get a one-star review in Glassdoor, for example. And those things will affect your future hire, these sort of practices. You you bring out a good point over there uh, in terms of how retaining talent is actually beneficial for the the parent company. Uh, so I'm on board with that. I think there's a way. There's always a way to keep talent um, post acquisition, just because there's a reason you made the acquisition, right? It's either for the product or for talent but indirectly it's always for the talent yeah they just need to recognize that um obviously the people who you know do make the transition they i i, I wonder if it's even discussed at all um i haven't haven't i haven't been in that privileged uh position to actually be in those meetings but yeah i wonder Sometimes they just, yeah, they just think the product will handle everything as in the, the product itself. Um, and sometimes they think that their own employees can take over the product and carry on with it. And I've seen that fail because they don't understand the, the values of the product. So yeah, suddenly everyone else leaves. Like I was... Like I was given a boss, a manager from the parent company, and that person had no idea or was actually against the value, the very values of our original, you know, company. And so, yeah, it's not surprised that people left and you lose talent quickly that way. Maybe that was the idea. Who knows? Interesting. Uh, what do you think about so? That was interesting just because that confirmed my previous statement as well. But what do you think about this unicorn generation where there are so many startups now that are worth more than a uh, billion dollars or not worth valued more than a billion dollars? And don't you think that they're a bit frivolous with acquisitions these days? Startups acquiring other smaller startups. Uh, and what I mean over there is when due diligence before acquisition doesn't go right, it always ends up in bad news, doesn't it? Well, yeah, if you put yourself in that situation, right, if you don't do your due diligence, right, it's going to rear its ugly head if you didn't check their code, etc. Well, why did they do this? I don't know. It's the, the appetite the maybe the pr that they get out, out out of the acquisition um yeah who knows i mean I, i'm not in that mindset of not doing due diligence definitely 
check it out, but take the time to, right? It's not like someone else. I mean, unless you're competing with somebody uh, for that bid, and maybe that speed is the reason why you you would skip that or be light on it. Um, yeah, it's when you acquire a company, it's like it's these companies, you know, it's just like any company, they have a tendency to fail as well. Um, just, just like, um, I've, I've seen in, uh, another product manager revealed to me when he was CPO and during, I think nine acquisitions, they went through nine, they, they acquired nine companies. Um, eight of them failed. But one of them now makes up half their revenue. And during that time, those were, you know, additional services that they provided, additional like small features, but they were hoping that they could be testing that pivot. Like, let's see if we could pivot to that direction um, by acquiring it. And then at least if, if it does do well, at least we bought it cheaply. Um, and then, yeah, they're, they're big bet on it's not that big there were meant to be you know all small bets and then one of that small bet actually is you know doing extremely well so yeah it's there i wouldn't say frivolous they, i assume it's calculated it's or you know they're trying to catch a trend and it's it's very hard to understand which one will be successful or not so that's why probably they do multiple acquisitions and they kept and they're trying to do it at the very start while they're cheap like when they're only you know just a couple of million or, you know, just tens of millions, not hundreds of millions. So the point you made around eight out of those nine companies uh, failing, uh, perk my interest. Uh, so we talked before about like due diligence before you acquire a startup. So now from the point of view of a parent company, how do you track? So when do you know that something is actually failing? when do you know when it actually fails um it's it depends on how you define failure uh there is kpis you know okrs or you know the revenue standpoint for example or the numbers that it's meant to, it's meant to generate in terms of engagement or in terms of clients those are all kpis that you could uh, look after and then you could also see how much runway does it have left? Let's say you set a budget for it. Those are the aspects that you could uh, look at um, from from a parent company's point of view. You know, um, our conversation is now really hitting at the trying to judge an acquisition, whether it's valued or not. What I could advise right now is having been an employee of an acquired company, or during the transition from being acquired to getting, you know, to post acquisition, I could talk more about the transition and what's good and what's bad of practices for that transition. Sounds good. And also some red flags around the way uh, would be interesting. Oh yeah, that was my negative attitude. Those are all the <laughs> red flags. It's, I mean, people already expect, you know, during an acquisition, it's it's always not necessarily a good thing. I mean, there's always, if you happen to have equity, that would definitely be good. You know, that's the whole point of starting a company and having investors and having equity. It's, it's, they're aiming for that liquidity to cash out, right? To benefit from that. Um, 
that is just the natural you know state of an acquisition um so going back to um the first the the bit where i said it was um the good practices of it of an acquired company is maintain that culture because you want to maintain that talent and hence maintain the the values as well that they have and if you see it as you as in the parent company should you know learn from it let it just let it let it grow and you have full access to their information their employees would be gladly sharing that information and and you should model and see if it could influence your existing employees and see if they actually you know enjoy actually find it beneficial like something as simple as you know design thinking right like the previous company i worked in had to hire a company to teach that while i was already doing that um and i had all the practical you know uh real real time real real world examples that i could provide for them and i also advocated that to the rest of the company and so yeah you could take one of your business units and you don't have to change the entire company just take one of your business units and then have them who are really enthusiastic about learning you know new things like something as simple as lean right you'd be surprised how many companies don't have that concept nailed down or they can't because their their infrastructure is just not capable of being lean because they have all these legacy things to deal with um have one business unit model the the new acquired company and see if it could affect it just keep it small and uh and then if there's actual growth or reaching meeting kpi targets then it gives everyone else confidence that hey this is something we should incorporate and slowly but surely you will reach this new type of stop business style or management style that's and actually quite that's actually quite on. fascinating you say this um so what is fascinating about this is the i think you're driving at one simple fundamental point as in once you're acquired as as a team member of the company that has been acquired you're now belonging to a larger family right now it's up to yeah. and there's this dynamics in play so i think this is also what you bring is pretty interesting point like you mentioned lean startup you mentioned uh, design thinking so it's a it's a call right to the employees from the 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 acquired company to also be proactive and this like proactive in spreading their knowledge right it's a it's it's a two way street correct um it's that's it. i mean that's a good point whether the employee wants to teach is is another thing um i'm sure they would they would love to have that position to share their knowledge i mean it's just like even a lunchtime learning session is is good um and it doesn't take much additional effort to have one employee model another just you know through mentorship or just through shadowing of you know practices and you know just sharing documentation is already um ways of sharing without taking too much effort from the existing employees as in it they don't really have to be that proactive 
to um, share. As long as the parent company is willing to learn, right? It doesn't take too much effort. Right. So there are easy ways to be proactive. That's what you mean, right? Like lunch and lunch sure. sessions, documentations, talks sometimes. Hey, I'm free on a Friday. I'm going to host something on Zoom. Do you want to join? That kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Or, you know, directly have a project together. Um, and they would definitely witness how things are being done um, by the two different teams. And I think this is important, right? It's important for the parent company to observe and recognize the skills of the company it has acquired. And likewise, if that's not happening, it's important for the acquired company to present those skills wherever possible, right? Yeah, I, th I, I somehow feel that, I'm not sure, but I somehow feel that they forget that aspect. They just, they just think about the revenue that this product is bringing that they acquired, and they also think about the clients that they, it brings in. And so, yeah, they, f they forget the long-term aspect. It's just like short-term, you know, increase of revenue. Let's put our sales guys to those, uh, to those clients. That, those are the general trends I see, and I think it's, uh, it's a short-term gain. And why that happens is just, is probably a practice where, you know, one of the um, directors, et cetera, the parent company, like, made the suggestions to make the acquisition. They want a quick, you know, revenue boost on their sheets, and then they get promoted. So that's, you know, the sort of thing that they're, they don't have the patience for the long term. They just want that short term, you know, promotion. And that's, that's probably why it happens. Of course, this is just my guess, because I haven't been in that position before. Um, but yeah, I just see just short-term actions being done, um, and not really long-term things, which yeah, is what I've witnessed before and hence led me to this, uh, thought. I would, I would agree with you. And for example, uh, in a company that I work for, uh, and we were acquired, there were no changes to the KPI per se. So the KPIs continued to be very product focused. So it would be interesting to have some incentive from uh, from the point of view of the acquired company to actually present these skills, share these ideas with the acquired company. Because the way I look at it, it's, it's a new family that you're joining, right? And initially people, whether you like it or not, uh, you're, you're initially a guest and you get integrated into the family over time. Right? And how can you make that process as smooth as possible? And some kind of very uh, subliminal nudge is a KPI, right? Or some kind of a metric which uh, incentivizes that behavior. Yeah, KPI is not subliminal. It's pretty direct in your face. Um, mandate for the employees or the team. Um, yeah, just have to think about new KPIs that would incorporate the integrated team. That that makes a lot of sense for me. And that that's also something that ah, I wish uh, I had those KPIs, you know. Mm, yeah, if if you that's something that, you know, obviously you raise with your manager on that. If you don't 
if you don't understand what the KPIs are, yeah, for sure, just ring that as a as a red flag or alarm bell. And if they don't, if they still don't know or they don't have you know KPIs set, um, yeah, there's there's an issue there. Like, what are you building towards then? Um, it's it's a recipe for disaster or freestyling, basically. Freestyling is the only way. I'm just kidding. Um, so I agree that KPIs are useful. What I'm just saying is, as so for for new companies that are getting acquired, and if any of our listeners are in one of those startups, what will be useful is see if your KPIs change, and if your KPIs don't change post acquisition, uh, raise it to your manager and ask them to incentivize um, cohesive behavior, right? Uh, keep in mind that it's not just the KPIs alone, right? It's it's more like analyze the the very top of that, which is the vision, the mission, the strategy for that quarter, and then all and then the KPIs at the end. You got to get through the whole thing to make sure everything is aligned. And as I said before, that um, post acquisition ideally is just leave that alone, right? First, um, if the company is acquired because it's doing well. And so it's more of a discussion of how could we do better with this existing resource or how do we maintain um, and not screw it up? Um, yeah, that's what you want to avoid. Today I love so, Go on, James. So yeah, this, is, this was the case for us. We were left alone and we just have to give, you know, um, quarterly updates and show our work and um the ceos of the companies were made managing directors as in this of the of the startup that got acquired and they were their mandate was to try to change the um the management styles like hey maybe we could learn something from your style your startup style and see if you could help change the you know our you know old school corporate style so they were made managing directors for bigger for a much larger portfolio so they had to, they had other you know acquired companies or you know the original uh projects of the corporation to uh follow them and um yeah and the could employees we, do so could we respect go yeah go Sorry, on go could we go deeper on that subject of um, the C-suite? So, uh, so a couple of acquisitions around the world, right? Like LinkedIn, GitHub, Figma. The the CEO remains the CEO of the new company and reports to the parent company CEO. Mm -hmm. uh, in certain cases, as you mentioned, they get uh, uh, they get turned into managing directors or some kind yep. of position in the management hierarchy so uh when should one do what so when what so i observe that uh, i observe when companies are left independent their ceos are kind of left in position but when there is an integration effort then uh, they're turned into members of the the core organizational hierarchy so am i correct in observing that uh that's i mean those are possibilities but also 
Um, in my scenario, when I was hired um, as the head of product, um, that frees up time for the CEO to not have to do product. So that spare time was on the integration aspect. Um, so it, you mentioned two examples, and then I'm giving you the hybrid that they could do both as well. Got time they Got have and what the parent company out wants out of them want to integrate as well got it got it so there is a place of for the original leadership to continue post acquisition correct yep and their contracts actually i heard um were two years so they were guaranteed to be employed um for two years and then they get to decide afterwards uh that they need to go or um yeah they get let go for example and that's usually the case you know you don't want to keep the ceo too long because they might be itching to you know start me for example um maybe they're zero founders for example and so that's that they're ready to take that cash that you've paid them for and to start in something else Sounds good. Um, yeah, let's let's bring up some of the the bad ones that I've seen um, in the acquisitions that I've been. Um, so, the quickest way to lose talent is to not tell them anything and not being transparent, not just holding back information. And people understandably become uncertain especially when they don't have any equity uh, at stake, you know, they're, as in they don't benefit anything from them, they become very liquid. And then so um, it's not difficult for them to just to find another job. And if a recruiter picks up information that a company, you know, is being acquired or has been acquired and people are leaving, they will like bees to honey, right? To start poking at your employees to offer them you know other jobs in the marketplace um yeah i had recruiters call me saying that you know my my previous company was shut down and, and then they hang up because they just got that information that they needed to start you know poaching my other uh colleagues my former colleagues for example it's yeah that can happen um so going back to you know the worst case scenario is not offering information the company, the parent company thinks that not by not giving them information or the existing company that the startup that's being acquired thinks that that will keep them actually is the opposite effect. Um, and usually people assume the worst and that's the, then that's worst case scenario. Another scenario is after, after acquisition is when they make huge sweeping changes to like major features that would upset your your users um and that's sometimes they do that on purpose because they're really killing the competition um and they want the users to migrate to the to the parent company's uh product which is you know sometimes very different or more expensive and users are not stupid they're unless they're locked down to something to an environment they will move on to something else so yeah, don't think you could do that. Uh, and from a p product manager's point of view, uh, 
seeing something, seeing your users, like all your work that you built together just so that your users end up leaving, that's very disheartening. And that's a quick way for a resignation right there. Um, so yeah, in other words, just if you could think of any possible way to piss off your employees or upset them, yeah, those are the worst case scenarios. And I've seen them all. Uh, they're, they're able to do that. Because sometimes when they acquire a company, they might just want one feature and not the others. So they would shut down a department and then maintain one, not realizing that their success actually came as a whole, um, as a complete package that one fed one feature fed to another, for example. If you shut down one, you're not going to get the same product anymore. And yeah, I've seen that happen. And not surprisingly, that eventually the whole thing collapsed and they had to underwrite, you know, they had to write it off. Um, as in what they bought is pretty much valued zero so that they claim tax back. So yeah, that's another possible, that's uh that's another scenario I've witnessed. There's, there's another worst case scenario that comes to my mind is uh, the changing economic context. Um, for example, mm -hmm. right now, the macroeconomic context yep. has pretty much a negative outlook in most parts of the world, right? We see hiring freezes, we see cost cuts all over the place. So uh, a successful acquisition is conditional also on a macroeconomic environment, right? And if the um, if the context starts becoming negative, so you you're not having growth in the system, uh, which makes everyone cost cut. And unfortunately, it happens sometimes that startups have to be let go, uh, or acquisitions have to be let go because basically the five year, ten year, twenty year uh, growth plan that certain um, acquisitions have just cannot be funded anymore, right? So just on that note, if if we can see letting go as the only option, so what's the best way to let go? <laughs> what's the best way to make sure there's a decent severance package to ensure that the employees can transition to uh, another company is probably the best way where I'm just thinking from the point of view, from the employee's point of view that is being let go. That is definitely the best way to live it being let go. I mean, what were you thinking? Um, what was in your, what was in your mind? I was thinking something similar. I was just wondering whether there's uh, better scenarios out there because most of the time a talent wants to leave. Uh, I mean, not wants to leave, but uh, if, if, if one is asked to leave, uh, then they're probably going to go somewhere and look for something, a job. So I, w I would say also like connecting someone with a recruiter or something like that to be an integral part of that transition out. We, I mean, we have seen what Airbnb has done when they made that announcement public. Um, S S Stripe follows suit, doing the same thing, saying that we're making this redundancy and so here's a list of all the employees who are very talented people um you know to the recruiters so that they could come and you know poach them um yeah just any way to make their transition easier um just be creative there's you know 
networks to be had to uh to, you could utilize for example uh airbnb i thought you know was very clever in that way because it was a good pr you know it's not when say stunt because they actually you know did it and everyone benefited from it and then so when they recovered um they could hire back people because they know that you know it's a good company it's good ethos that no other company would have thought of and they set precedents because you because your company when it's shrinking in this economy will grow when the economy grows back and you want to hire it just this fast so yeah it, it, if you're doing something good yeah definitely make it public that's a good point you bring up about how to like keeping these processes in the open actually yeah. adds uh brownie points to your own yeah. company uh, and it helps in the long run actually i don't see any reason why this should be done behind closed doors right because i've i've noticed from uh situations that my friends have gone through etc there are certain sad times where uh redundancies are done in private um it's only known to the company but not to the outside world now there is no benefit whatsoever to that right no there is um cuz that could also spark you know investor um problems i mean investor uh, anxiety like why are they doing this layoff right so again all this transparency let me just first recognize what you just said you said long run again i'm an advocate of thinking long term right just like these stunts or you know this pr message that what airbnb did is actually a long term benefit when they actually when the economy comes back around that could be years to to rehire again um for example so i mean going back to the hiding aspect of the redundancy sometimes you know they don't want to spook people that's what they assume if unless unless they know how to elegantly say like this is why we're doing this redundancy right um mike i mean from your point of view sure like the economy is doing not doing well and so we have to lay these people off or the pandemic is no longer the pandemic and we don't have the need for this and then hence we lay people off so sure if you're being transparent about that yeah that's that's fine and that's good um and keeping it secret they must have thought yeah we don't want to spook people for example or just create unnecessary noise that can make them think about further negatives for sure there's probably something that yeah they don't want them to see for example i mean what are your thoughts yeah i'm just drawing a parallel from a completely different point of view um in a completely different industry so i'm thinking in terms of uh, for example cyber attacks right so when a company gets problems has been hacked or has had ransomware situations etc there are two kinds of possible uh ways to react right one is immediately go silent and try to figure out the problem work with the police or whatever and figure things out and then a month two months later you tell your users hey you know two months earlier you actually got hacked and sorry we all your personal data was taken away from you um this is almost 
the worst way to deal with it, right? Uh, the the better way to deal with it is as soon as that happens, you raise it out in the public, keep giving people updates. Hey, you know, we are trying to solve the problem. We figured out the uh, possible solution. We backed up our servers. Sorry, we figured out that your personal data was stolen. And I've, I've noticed that every time a company actually did that, um, they would retain the faith of their users. They would retain the faith of their investors. Um, there might be a little bit of uh, bumps along the road, but large and large, they retain that faith. When a company does it in hiding, for example, Equifax was one of those companies which completely hid away the fact that it was attacked. Whenever they do it in hiding, eventually that uh, backfires at them. There's mass exodus of users, etc. So just taking that as a piece and applying it to, um, to, to laying off people in, in scenarios where you've acquired a company, I would say doing it in the open could seem counterintuitive, especially if you're thinking from the point of your investors, etc., and those relationships. But it's almost a show of faith that, hey, I'm making this hard decision, but there's a reason I'm thinking about the company's growth and the long-term viability of this company, and that's why yep. I'm making this decision. It's yep. good to it's it's a good thing to it's a good way to get all stakeholders on board. And what you just explained is again, you know, long term, this is what we want to ensure that we are a good company, right? And we're being transparent and we're not too worried about the short term immediate reactions. So, what I was representing is like a short term reaction, knee jerk reaction from investors that. They don't want, you know, you don't, they don't, the board doesn't want to spook the investors. And that's just only for short term, like anything that you're hiding, like just the just hiding in general, unless it's like IP, right? You know, hiding in general on, on these sort of events is overall lead, would lead to suspicion just overall. Um, so yeah, you're definitely right on that. Being transparent is showing vulnerability and showing that you have confidence in yourself. And at the same time, you're opening yourself to, um, I think, help from outside or, you know, just, just, it's not necessarily scrutiny. They actually would, you know, l be less uh, of attentive as you would think before, as in within, without the magnifying, like the more you hide, the more they want to look at your stuff versus the other way around where you're more transparent, the less likely they would mind. And then at least they, they know how to react and respond. They as in the investors or employees know how to resp respond accordingly and offer help, for example. Agreed. Completely agree. So, uh, James, if I was to just summarize uh, almost everything, we talked about pre-acquisitions and how to put oneself up for acquisition, more or less, from the employee's point of view, the actual acquisition process, post-acquisition, how in terms of knowledge sharing and cross-pollination, and now uh, worst-case scenarios and best-case scenarios. Right? Um, worst-case scenarios, one of them being layoffs. So along this thread, is there 
anything we might have missed around acquisitions? No, not no. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, I think the 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 takeaway I wanted to share really is just in the end, it's just think when you're acquiring something, think of it for your long-term investment or any sort of reaction around it is should be for the long-term uh, benefits of your company and not respond to any short-term falls. Because um, in the long run, it will make up for it if you plan accordingly. If you plan for just the short terms and that's it, then you might just patch something, but it's going to rear its ugly head um, eventually. Beautifully put. Yeah. Patching is never uh, the solution. The solution is the solution. Unless uh, you're a Python developer like me, <laughs> patching is the solution. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know that technical term. Um, yeah. It's even called monkey patching. It's actually a software engineering skill. You know? <laughs> Not the right kind of skill, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else from your end? Uh, that's that's it from my end. Uh, I found this uh, conversation quite enlightening in the sense that I didn't know there was so much around acquisitions. So thank you, James. Oh, you're very welcome. And that's it for this time, folks. Uh, have a great day. Have a great morning, evening, and night. Signing off, Brass. Signing off uh, and see you next episode. Bye. Bye.